Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't care how defiled the temple is, God can step into it and clean the thing up. He can clean it up. That's a, that's a great application point for any one of us. Because what you can translate that to is we no longer need a temple to worship God because your body is the temple of God. And if you're a normal human being, you probably had some defilement within the temple. But praise God that he knows how to step into that and he can clean up any mess. No matter what mess you may have made, the Lord can clean it up. As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he shares with you the wonderful truth that God can redeem all things. You might feel like your past or who you are now is too much for God, but that's a lie from the enemy. Pastor James encourages you that God is never going to turn his back on those that come to him. He loves you more than anything. When you come to him, you'll be greeted with his arms outstretched to you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 1, chapter 8, says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, now remember, that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson who was ruling with his dad, okay? So it's in his third year of the reign, okay, Belshazzar, not a good ruler at all. It says, A vision appeared to me, Daniel, after uh, the one that appeared to me the first time. So that's like speaking two years prior, okay? That's the context there. He had the vision. He was in his bedroom laying in his bed, had a vision, had some dreams and visions, and then he wrote them all down. We talked about that last week. So he's referencing that. He says, now concerning that, I had another vision that's connected to that one. Um, he says, I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, um, Shushan, Shushan or Susa, S-U-S-A, that's the capital in Persia, Okay. Um, he says, I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai, if that's how you say that. So he's, he has a vision and God picks him up and transports him to Persia. That's kind of what he's, saw, what he's talking about here. So he goes from Babylon to Shushan. And so he's going to see, because this is the next ruling empire. This, these are the guys who are about to come in and overtake Babylon. Okay, so God just transports them in this vision. And so he sets them there right on the river, right on the riverbank. So he has this great view of this encounter that's about to happen. Weird little battle, so to speak. So he's there by the river. Verse three, he says, and I lifted up my eyes and saw there standing beside the river uh, was a ram, which had two horns and the two horns were high. They were great. Uh, Horns are significant of uh, and symbolic of power and strength and might. Okay. So this ram had two giant horns. It says, but one was higher than the other. Okay. And the other one came up last. So we even saw that with um, the bear. Remember from chapter seven, there's a bear in the book of Daniel. And this, uh, this bear was like one side was lifted higher than the other side, meaning that 
of the Medes and the Persians, one group was stronger than the other. And the Persians were stronger than the Medes, okay? So that's what that means. That's why in here, one horn is bigger than the other horn. It's the Persian side is much more, it's, it's much stronger than the Mede side. That's all it's saying, right? So what it's doing is, it, it, it's a different animal, but it's the same message, okay? You got a bear from chapter seven, and now he's signified as a ram. Uh, and what's, what's interesting about this, um, the ram is, is like the emblem of Persia, okay? So, so Daniel seeing this stuff take place before it ever even happens, and what he's seeing is like what just turns out to be very true, but Daniel would have been ignorant of these things. He didn't know that, as far as we know, he didn't know that the ram was going to be the emblem or the symbol for the Persians. But yet in this vision, God shows them like, hey, that ram, that's the Medes and that's the Persians. Okay. Got the two horns. One's higher than the other. One came up last. He says, I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there anyone who could deliver from his hand. They were uh, a mighty army, a mighty force. They were conquering. They moved with power and with strength. We saw that in chapter 7 with the bear. He had three ribs in his mouth. It's symbolizing three major victories, con- conquests that the, that the bear had. So the ram is cruising all around, beating everybody. Nobody can withstand him. Uh, n- nobody could deliver from his hand. Uh, but he did, uh, the rest of that verse says, he did according to his will and became great. So it's a great ruling nation until this other animal shows up on the scene. Verse five. And as I was considering, Daniel says, as I was thinking about this, he's like watching the ram in this vision. It's moving all around, destroying anybody and everybody. He says, as I was thinking about this or contemplating this, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram who, that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him, the goat, uh, saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to withstand him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from the goat's hand, right? So this is just weird, but it seems like, doesn't seem right. I don't know. Um, I don't know a lot about animals. Uh, I mean, I was fascinated with animals growing up. I do know that I've, I've seen rams in the wild. Impressive beast. Like, mag- just crazy. I mean, even from like, I, I lived in Colorado for a while, and uh, you go hiking, rams were out there, break out your binoculars, you see these things, you're like, I know enough that I don't want that thing anywhere near me. Pretty awesome looking though, and impressive with their horns. Now, if I look at that compared to like a goat, which I have a lot of goats living around my neighborhood, uh, and they're not all that impressive. I wouldn't mind having one because it might keep my grass short, but it'd also eat my house. So I don't, I don't really want any dealings with goats, but I'm not afraid of a goat. Been to petting zoos. I pet goats. I've done all that. That's fun. They're cute. Whatever, I guess. Ram versus goat. I'm thinking ram always wins, but not in this scenario. Not in this scenario. Here is the, the goat is, like I said earlier, it, it's Greece. That's who it is. It's Greece. And the reason why Daniel's looking out and he sees this goat who's like moving across the surface of the earth without ever touching the ground, what he's talking about is like he's flying across the surface of the earth, like so fast, so quick. Daniel chapter 7 tells us that 
Greece was pictured as a leopard with four wings and four heads, okay? Greece was known for their speed at which they conquered. I mean, Alexander the Great, you don't get the, you don't get the name the Great unless you do something great, okay? Unless you're just like that like self-confident and self-absorbed, I guess you could call yourself the Great, but you kind of have to prove it. Like, I would never call myself James the Great, okay? Because there's no evidence of that at all. Alexander the Great could claim that title because he conquered the known world very fast. I mean, he, he conquered it so quickly that, and I, I shared this with you guys last week, he got to the end of it and he was so depressed because there was no one else to conquer because he had conquered everybody so quickly. And then this guy dies at the age of 32, like he's on top of the world. Nobody could touch him. And his armies, they, were, they weren't as, as powerful as all the other armies. The leopard's not as powerful as the bear, so to speak. But because the leopard moved so swiftly, he could overcome the bear. And that's what they do. That's what the, the, Gre- uh, the Grecian army, I guess you could call them, um, they overcame the Medes and the Persians. And uh, this is all connected to like, Daniel chapter 2 with the, the, the dream Nebuchadnezzar had with the statue of the head of gold, the shoulders and, and the torso made of, um, of silver and then, you know, and so on and so on. But this is all connected. All Daniel is connected to each other. And so what Daniel is seeing is like really just further more details on what God has already shown him. But he's able to write this stuff down so that we could see it. And we look back on this and be like, oh, yeah, this all came true. Um, at Daniel's time, he's looking at all this. And we'll see at the end of this chapter, he, it's kind of like chapter 7. He, he's, he's kind of sickened by it in the sense that he physically becomes ill because of these things. But you have Alexander the Great moves swiftly, conquering everybody, just going against. He, he absolutely decimates the Medes and the Persians. And then his life is cut short. His life is cut short. He, he dies at an early age. And that's what, even what this talks about. What's, what's amazing about Daniel chapter 8 is the idea, some historians don't really agree with this, but they're the same ones who don't believe that the, Daniel, the book of Daniel is actually worth reading, okay? So they have somewhat of a bias, all right? Um, but Josephus, who was a very reliable Jewish historian, shares the story of um, Alexander actually going through Jerusalem and stopping off in Jerusalem. And they were like, hey, you want to see that you're in this book? You want to see that you're in this book? Like God talks about you specifically in this book. And he's like, of course I want to see that. And they open up the book of Daniel. And there he is. And there he is. How amazing is that? You're just cruising around. You go to Jerusalem and you want to go to the temple. And they even brought him in so he can offer like sacrifices and things like this. But they're like, oh yeah, by the way, Let's open up the Bible, and you can see that you're in this book. Um, I would encourage you. Do you know that you're in this book? You know that you're in this book too, right? Because you're like, oh, man, that'd be so cool if I was Alexander the Great. and such. His name's not mentioned in here, but neither is yours. But it doesn't mean you're not in the book. So there's a lot of references to you that are found in the book. It's kind of nice. It's kind of cool. Um, specifically you know, in the New Testament. Um, but there's a ton of references toward you in the Bible, which is why you should read it, because it's God's love letter to you. 
And it actually has you, he included you in this thing. And don't let it go to your head, because uh, there's good parts about you in this book, but there's also some bad parts about you in this book, so to speak, all right? So uh, the Bible is very honest. He's very honest. But uh, ambassadors, ambassadors of Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, then that's you. That's you. Any references of, you know, adopted sons and daughters of the king, that's you. That's me. That's us. You're, you're talked about within this book. It's amazing. Alexander the Great, though, he's like, not like, I'm like really in this book. Like, he's like, this is me. He saw that this is talking about him. I mean, it, it's amazing. I mean, you're talking about years and years and years later. And this is all happening exactly as God said it was going to happen. Exactly as he said it was going to happen. And he's moving the pieces around. He was moving the pieces around back then. And he's moving the pieces around today. So I think if there's any takeaway, even just from this little portion, it's this. God is in control. He's in control of this whole world. This whole world. I don't care, I don't care what global leaders are doing what and all that good stuff. God's in control. What's going to happen is going to happen. And he's not surprised by any of it. He wasn't surprised way back here in the BC days when Alexander's cruising around and conquering because God already knew that was going to happen. He already knew it was going to happen. In fact, he had Daniel write it down, and then Alexander the Great shows up, and he's like, yeah, I already knew that. Yeah, God's already talked about that. He's like, I thought I was just like, I was in charge. I was ruling the world. And it was a good little wake-up call for him. They're like, no, God's ruling the world. He's ruling the world. But this is speaking about the goat. It's Alexander the Great and all this good stuff. Verse 8, though, this gives us the, the indication of what happens to this great empire. It says, therefore, the male goat grew very great. And when he had become strong, the large horn was broken. Okay? So that's Alexander the Great. He's broken. He dies. And in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. So we know this is historically accurate as well, because when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided uh, amongst his four generals. Okay? So again, it's no coincidence. And it's not like these guys were like, okay, hey, let's consult the book of Daniel to see what we're supposed to do next. Like they weren't thinking that way. Alexander died and they thought it was a brilliant idea to divide the kingdom out four ways. And yet the Bible is talking about them doing this years before it ever happened. So they, there's four horns that come up, all right? And here's where it gets a little, it, it, just, it just gets fascinating. Because from those four, there's going to be this one. It says, out of, uh, out of one of them, one of the four, came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, or the holy land, okay? And it grew up to the host of the heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. This is a powerful little horn. This is a uh, persecuting little horn. This is a, a mean, evil little horn, Okay? Is what this is. It says, he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. This is uh, speaking of God's sanctuary. Okay. And, and I'm going to clarify this in all in one second. It says, in place of his sanctuary was, ca- uh, in the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. And he cast truth down to the ground. And he did all this and prospered. 
here's the deal with this, the little horn. Because um, immediately in our brains, we're thinking, because chapter 7 talked about a little horn, but that's a different one. That's the Antichrist. This one's not talking about the Antichrist, okay? Because there's a, there was a little horn that showed up in history that did all these things. And uh, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Yeah, that's right. Antiochus Epiphanes. Wicked, wicked, vile man, ruler. Little horn, little horn. He showed up one day and um, he took it upon himself to desecrate the temple by, he, he set up the, it's the statue of Jupiter. I was going to say Saturn, but it was the statue of Jupiter um, in the, tab, in, in the uh, temple. And then he went as far as to slaughter a, a pig on the altar and sprinkle its blood around the courtyard. Um, the pig is an unclean animal to the Jews. And so to have a pig sacrifice within the temple on the, on the, on the offering table there is an absolute, it's the, it's a, desecration. It's, it's a major, major foul. Like you don't do this at all, but this is what he did. So he came into Jerusalem uh, and he, he did this and he's just spitting in God's face, so to speak. And so he's attacking the Jews, not just politically and physically, but he's also attacking them spiritually. This is a real man. This is a real event in history. And this guy, we believe that he is the little horn of chapter 8, because this took place, and, and it's, this did cause problems. And, and even the, the word says, like, how long? How long was this going to happen? Verse 13, it says, I heard an holy one, uh, a holy one speaking, and another holy one said that that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to, to be trampled underfoot? So he's like, so Daniel's watching this vision take place. He sees this desecration thing, which you can imagine even Daniel, who grew up in Jerusalem, grew up in Israel, was stolen away from his family, moved to Babylon, is growing, growing up the rest of his days are spent in Babylon. His heart is still for Jerusalem. His heart is still for the temple, but yet he sees this event take place. It's going to be breaking his heart. But he, he hears somebody else saying, how long is this going to go on for? Like this little horn, how long is he going to be doing this? Verse 14, it tells us, he said, for 2,300 days or evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Okay, so this is all like, all right, that's this very specific time frame and what's going on with all this. Um, Here's what's cool about this story, right? Because that's like, you talk about dark days, right? I mean, this is like as dark as it gets, especially if you're a Jew in Jerusalem. You're the, the most holy of places has been overrun by a vile and wicked ruler who's not only like um, c- keeping you from worshiping because, I mean, the whole place is, it's unclean now. Like it's got pig's blood everywhere. But this is like an attack against God. This is an attack against our worship and, and how we worship. And, and not even, I mean, not just that, but like the sacrificial system. Like I got to make sacrifices for my sins, but I can't do that because the temple has been taken over. How long will this go? 2,300 days. What's amazing about that is uh, there's an event that took place and it was just celebrated not that long ago. It's called Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah. You know that? Um, Judas, uh, Judah Maccabees, you guys familiar with this story at all? Okay, good. If not, 
I'm probably not the guy to tell you this, but, um, but I'll do my best. So Judah Maccabee, or Judas Maccabee, as you, you may know him as well, but I'm going to go with the Judah one. He kind of assembled a little bit of a, an army, right? Not a powerful army, not an impressive army. But they were fed up with this guy, and they were fed up with Antiochus Epiphanes, this wicked man. They were, they were tired of it. So they were going to rebel, right? They were going to rebel, and they were going to take back their temple. And they were going to go back in and clean it out and all that good stuff. So he, at, at this prescribed time period, like, they show up to the temple to cleanse the temple and to rededicate the temple. But it's like... On the day, like on this very specific day when God had, told, or had shown Daniel, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to be for this many days. At the end of that day, December 25th, is when Judas Maccabee shows up and cleans out the temple and rededicates the whole thing. It's amazing. And then you get to a Hanukkah story because they found just enough oil, right, to keep the lamps burning. And it was a miracle that they burned for as long as they did. Uh, just a, an amazing story. There's a lot connected to that story. I would highly encourage you to read up on that story. You're like, but it's not in the Bible. Like Hanukkah is not in the Bible. Well, read up on the story. It's a sweet story. It's an amazing story. It's a miracle that what happened. It's absolute worth your time to read up on it. Because in the darkest of days, a miracle was performed. A miracle was performed. And God came through. And what I love about that. It's just another solid reminder of, man, God's word comes true. It comes true. Like there's no stopping his word. I don't care if it is a little horn with a big ego and, you know, this God complex where he wants everybody to worship him. And he will be a, a predecessor of sorts to the Antichrist for sure. But Antiochus Epiphanes was not the Antichrist. But he was, a, he was a good little forerunner of what's to come. But even in the midst of that, God knows how to show up and, and he just, he can keep the light burning for as long as he needs to, for as long as he needs to. What's also cool about that, if you're looking at practical application stuff or personal application, I don't care how defiled the temple is, God can step into it and clean the thing up. He can clean it up. That's a, that's a great application point for any one of us. Because what you can translate that to is we no longer need a temple to worship God because your body is the temple of God. And if you're a normal human being, you probably had some defilement within the temple. But praise God that he knows how to step into that and he can clean up any mess. He can clean up any mess, and he's still in the business of doing that. So it's really cool, this, this little bitty, you know, this little bitty, I don't know, a highlight kind of thing is, is tucked away right in the middle of Daniel chapter 8. As Daniel's transported over to Persia, and he sees this stuff going on, that's historically going to happen, and, and it did. It, we can look back. We can read the history books. This stuff has happened. But it's not like lessons of long ago and they don't really apply to us today. And, and that was part of what I was praying through today was like, Lord, I, I understand the historical element to these stories because I love history. I love history. It's fun to read history. But I, I've, I found myself even just praying today. I'm like, Lord, I, I like the history stuff. But how does that apply today, though? It's like, well, I'm still in the business cleaning up messes. 
still in the business of cleaning up defilement, and I'm still in charge. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle teach through the book of Daniel, helping us understand all of the fascinating things in this book. Imagine a king being debased to eating grass like a cow and looking like a complete barbarian. It sounds like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. There were many lessons for King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, and God used Daniel to speak truth to this king of Babylon. Don't you see that no matter what location you're placed in, God can use it for good, for people to turn their hearts towards Him. We hope that your heart is also turned towards God today. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Bread for the Broken. If there's any way that this ministry has impacted you, would you mind sharing that with us? You can get in touch with us through our contact page at breadforthebroken.com. We'd be so happy to meet you in person too. So if you're in the Galveston area, join us this Sunday or Wednesday for worship and Bible study here at Calvary Galveston. You can find directions, service times, and more by visiting our website, breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. In the meantime, we encourage you to continue reading on your own in the book of Daniel, as you'll discover so many things that God wants to teach you from Daniel's example. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off and keep covering passages in this Old Testament book right here on Bread for the Broken.